Um, we looked last week at this, this gospel of Mark, the shortest of the four gospels, the story of Jesus, how it's a fast-moving, fast-paced book, like an action uh, story, like an action movie or action novel, okay? It's a fast-moving story. There's not a lot of long teachings in it. It's, it's boom, boom. There's a lot of content, though. Even though it's shorter, there's tons that happens because a lot, like, bulks of pages aren't taken up with just, like, long teachings. So even though it's a sh the shortest of the gospel, there's a lot that happens in it. It's a fast-moving action story. Another thing we talked about last week, so again, this is review, is that the book of Mark is really a form of what we called apocalyptic writing. It's like an apocalypse. And apocalyptic writing, apocalypse is just a Greek word, and it really, it's very simple. It just means to reveal. So to reveal. Things are hidden. That's the idea. Things are not as they seem. It's a, a big undercurrent in the book of Mark, in the ministry of Jesus as a whole. And the book of Mark helps to reveal those things. So in the book of Mark, we see so much, a lot of things that Jesus says or Jesus does that we find, we look at it and we say, why did he say that? I don't understand. It, it's confusing. It's puzzling a lot of times. And he's trying to crack, the idea is that, is that he's trying to crack open our worldview. He's trying to str um, stretch our ways of thinking. Because things are not as they seem. And we also talked last week about how sometimes there are moments in the book of Mark where there's no mystery. It's just boom. It's clear. Jesus is baptized and like an, <laughs> the heavens part and God says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. There's no mystery about that. There's the transfiguration when he's on the mountain. There's when he pulls the disciples aside and tells them, um, explains to them the parables. This is what it means. Oh, to them, I'm not telling them. I, I don't give the meaning, but to you, I will give the meaning. And then, of course, Jesus' declaration before the high priest. Are you the son of God? Jesus says, yes. He could have left it at that, but to antagonize a little more, he says, yes, and you will see the son of man coming on the clouds in heaven. <laughs> no, so those declarations are sharply clear in comparison to the rest of the style of the book of Mark. So the book, it's written in the style of revealing. Con Jesus is constantly doing and saying unexpected things in this book. Again, the idea that Jesus came and was just like a wise moral teacher, like that you might hear on the street, like my, my friends, my, a lot of my non-Christian friends and stuff, you can just tell from the things they think. Like a lot of people, they just think, oh, Jesus was like a good religious teacher. It's just not the picture we get, not in any of the Gospels, especially not in Mark. He's not coming to be a wise moral teacher and teach us the ways of life. That's not at all what's happening. The book of Mark makes that abundantly clear. The stories are filled with mystery and questions so that the, the clear events are more clear. And nothing is more clear in the book of Mark than Christ's death and resurrection. And it climaxes at that moment. So I, we talked last week, we said, so what, what I said is, and I'll remind you again, if you find yourself, as we go through the book of Mark in these next few months, if you find yourself confused or puzzled by certain things that Jesus says or does, well, that's kind of the point. That was his intention. In fact, that was both of their intention. Jesus' intention, I believe, it's also Mark's intention, who wrote this gospel. He to write it in a way, to puzzle you, to make you think, to stretch your understanding. Because if you are confused about something Jesus did, what does it mean? It means that there's something about your view, your understanding, or maybe your attitude, or maybe your heart, 
If there's something that you're confused about, it means there's something about your view, your understanding, your attitude that's off. You're forced into this situation, right? There's something about you maybe that is enslaved, something about you that is wrong if you don't agree and understand with what Jesus is doing. That's kind of the idea. Jesus does this a lot. Again, when he, when he heals the paralytic, remember they say, how can he say he forgives sin? First he says, oh, your sins are forgiven. It's like, uh, I thought you were going to heal them, right? Well, so, and that's why Jesus says, so that you know the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins, rise, pick up your mat, and walk. So that's the point. The scribes are like, I don't think he has the ability to forgive sins, but I also know he's not wrong, because that guy just walked out of here. So if Jesus is not wrong, and he's saying something that you don't agree with, it means you're wrong. <laughs> so, right? So, um, and, and again, that is what a lot of what's going on with parables and with a lot of what's going on in the book of Mark is, is, is stuff like that. Okay? And we've talked about this in the book. Again, this is review. I'm not fleshing all these ideas out. I'm reviewing stuff we've already talked about. But when, where is it that we often find ourselves that we are wrong? When is it often that we are finally convinced that, we're, oh, um, darn, things are, yeah, not good. It's a wilderness experience. We talked about a lot of this with the book of David. It's when we, we, when we go through a traumatic time of our life, when, we, when, our, our, when our world is disrupted, that is often, those are the moments, the moments where we lack stable grounding for our lives. Those are the moments that we are most able to question our own hearts. When things are going great, we don't question ourselves. We think, hey, yeah, I got this figured out. But in the wilderness experience is the place where new change, new life, a new message, new heart, or a new meta, we're going to talk about that in a minute, can come. And so that is the reason why so much of the book of Mark is about uh, coming out of the wilderness, especially in the beginning of the book, which we're going to review again today, coming out of a wilderness experience. And there's so much in the book of Mark about wilderness, slavery, upheaval, okay? And we also talked last week about sneaky operations, that Jesus's mission is like a covert mission. It's like mission impossible, right? He's got, he's got to infiltrate into um, to, to complete his mission, which is eventually on the cross. He does not want to garner a huge following of people. We're going to see that again this morning. He does not want to build like an army and attack uh, Israel or whatever, like attack the temple and whatever. He's got a completely special secret mission that only he can, can accomplish. Only Jesus can do it. Nobody else plays a role or can help him. He's like a secret agent. And he operates in these... Again, very much like David in that respect and the things that we looked at. Sneaky ways. He knows how to operate out of the wilderness. So these are all ideas that we see in the book of Mark. Super cool. Super cool stuff. Because Jesus came to proclaim this... He, he came to proclaim that God's kingdom is at hand. That the time has finally come for redemption and restoration. The people had been expecting it. It had been promised to them. And they were waiting for it. And it, became more and it was becoming more and more apparent that they needed it because they were enslaved, not only by the Romans, but as we'll see, the religion itself, the Israelite religion, the temple cult, the priests, the Pharisees, even they were enslaving the common people with their religion and all that stuff. And it was becoming more and more apparent. And Jesus came to proclaim that God's kingdom is at hand. And so that's where the story starts. 
And since it comes from the wilderness, it's the wilderness that where you can understand the need for a changed heart. That's why he first goes to the people on the fringes, people who are on of society that people because those are the people who are most likely or most aware of their need to, to be changed people on the fringes the oppressed the poor the sick those who are enslaved by demons okay in the story but in or you know whether it's addictions or um compulsive behavior things like that those who have been abandoned and stretching the symbols out a little further, those who live by the sea, we know we called fishermen. We talked last week about how fishermen and people living by the sea is not a common Israelite motif. Like Israel is all about like mountains, like the Ten Commandments on the mountains, the temple is on Mount Zion, Jerusalem is a city on a hill. Being by the water, fishermen, is, it's not a major theme of the identity of the nation of Israel. Yet, it is a fringe. I mean, there's still fishermen in Israel. So fringe. So he calls fishermen. Those people who are in the countryside, he's up in Galilee in the countryside, not in the city to start. Those who are willing to travel, those who are willing to journey, to leave where they are and journey. These are the people he goes to first. People who are willing to follow him. Even if it means going deeper into the wilderness, if there's any hope, if there's any hope of healing or release or freedom of salvation, of acceptance, they are willing to follow him. Remember, he takes them. They drag, drag, at one point in the story later on, he drags them out into the wilderness and they're like, oh, dang. We're, we're, these, these five, there's not enough food to get these people home. They're literally going to starve to death on the way home. What are we going to do now? And Jesus feeds the 5,000. They're willing to follow him deeper into the wilderness if there's any hope. Because this gospel that Jesus is proclaiming, it says he's proclaiming the good news is as a gospel of metanoia. That's the Greek word, metanoia. Does anyone remember metanoia, what it means? Or can you figure it out? And Mark, Jesus says, it says, he came to proclaim the good news of God's kingdom and metanoia. Does anyone remember metanoia? How do we normally, it's, normally it's a bad translation. We talked about this about a month ago. It's a bad translation normally. Uh, John the Baptist uh, was baptizing people with water and something like and metanoia for the forgiveness of sins. A baptism of metanoia for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, what is it? A baptism of? Starts with an R. Uh, repentance. Thank you. Baptism of repentance. Metanoia. Okay. Metanoia is the Greek word. Repentance. Jesus proclaims the gospel of, a of repentance. A gospel of repentance. We think of, and I preached, I, I, I spoke over a month ago about repentance and how it's poorly understood. In fact, it's, and it's been like that for th over a thousand years. You go back to, Dave, you'll be interested in this. You go back to the Latin Vulgate. Okay, how they, the Latin translation of the Bible, they actually translated it penance, not even repentance, penance, like beat yourself uh, for punishment, for your sins. Penance. That's how they translated metanoia. Metanoia means new meta. What is meta? Meta is kind of like a buzzword nowadays. This word meta, like a meta narrative. Meta is like meta is like the way that the, you know the, the overarching thing that drives you. The the the, the the 
the situation that you're in, the overarching worldview is like the meta, right? Jesus is teaching a gospel of new meta for you, a new meta, a changed heart. Some transla- better translations will say, they won't say repentance, because repentance, again, it's not that it's a bad word, but it, it's been misused in that. It's this idea of like, oh, I sinned, I feel bad for my sin, I shouldn't sin anymore. It's just such a shallow version of what this word metanoia means. Metanoia is new meta, new worldview, completely changed heart. Because in the ancient world, heart is not like what we think of heart. Like, it's mind, it's heart, it's all combined. It's meta, new heart. Jesus proclaims the gospel. The, the, the promised time of God's kingdom has come, but this good news requires a changed heart. They go hand in hand. Changing of the heart. John the Baptist preached it, Jesus preaches it. And the changed heart does not come from a current system. It, and, and it does not come from your current view of things. Remember how I said, if you're confused, and it's, he's just saying it, puts you in a spot where it's like, oh, I'm wrong about something. I don't know what, but I'm wrong about something. Cracks it open. In fact, it's the current system, your current view of things, that's probably what's enslaving you. Oh, just stop. When you're enslaved, you can't just stop. That's why it's slavery. You don't even know. You don't have the power to stop it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be slavery. It would just be you making bad choices, I guess. They're tied together. But slavery is a powerful word. terrible word. But you don't know. You don't know what it is that's enslaving you. You think your view of the world is right, or at least your view is reasonable. Considering your situation, we think this all the time. And if my view of the world is right, and things aren't going well, then what does that take us? Oh, it's someone else's fault. Someone else is responsible for where I'm at in my life. That's the logical conclusion. And so we blame others, and boy, we see this in the world today. Oh boy, is there a lot of finger pointing out there? Well, my, obviously, I view, everyone views the world like I view. I mean, I know what the world is like. I mean, come on, I view the world right, but yet things aren't going my way, so it's got to be someone else. Someone else is oppre- is someone else's fault. But the truth is you have to venture outside. You have to venture into wild places in order to hear the good news. You have to be willing to listen and... and um, and hear this message. <clears throat> and so that's what we've seen in Mark so far. John the Baptist, at the beginning of the book, is a voice in the wilderness. Boy, he is stirring the pot. He's the one who kind of cracks things open the most. He's not nice. It doesn't come across as nice at all. Just harsh, harsh. Hardcore. A voice crying in the wilderness. He breaks down those initial barriers. He developed a big following. He paid the price for it as well. He became a head leader, and they so they... they they imprisoned him, eventually cut off his head. So then Jesus comes along. So this is stuff we've already covered. Now we're going through the story of Mark. Jesus comes along. He's baptized himself. Fascinating. Even Jesus is baptized. And I'm going to suggest this, which may sound crazy. Even Jesus goes under the waters of baptism and rises to a new meta. And you may say, how does Jesus need to repent? Well, that's because the word repentance is not a good translation. Even Jesus rises from the water. Does he not? As soon as he comes up, the heavens are torn open. Something happens. The spirit descends like a dove. Something changed from what was before, or something is different from before. And the Lord says, you are, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. That's what baptism is. It's rising into this new meta, this new view of the world, this new life. 
Absolutely, it was an example. Absolutely, it was an it was an example. Exactly. A lot of if you read a lot of scholarship about like why his baptism, a lot of people will say like a lot of teachers will say, oh, it's just a sign of solidarity with Israel. I I almost think it's the opposite actually because he doesn't have a lot of good things to say about Israel. It's almost like his sign of because again forgiveness, repentance, all these things were available that John the Baptist was offering. They were available through the temple. You just go to the temple and do that. But because everyone considered the temple was so corrupt, that's why they were attracted. One of the reasons why they were attracted to John the Baptist who was offering a baptism of repentance, which is like going, like um, Moses, the Red Sea and crossing the Jordan River, those kind of ideas. Um, uh, so Jesus is, is um, you know, it's like Noah. When Noah got off the ark with the floodwaters that flooded the entire earth, he came out into an entirely new world, a new meta. And the Bible actually says, it says, the first thing God says is, from now on, seed time and harvest seasons will go on forever. It wasn't like that before. And there's, you can read it more. I won't go into it more. Uh, but he says, I'll never flood the earth again. There's the rainbow, all that part of that story. The point is, is the world is very different from what it was before. The world before, the situation before led to the flood. God creates man to represent himself on earth. Man to, uh, spreads nothing but evil and sin to the point where they will destroy all of creation. Because of the immense power that he's given us, we will use that power to destroy ourselves and creation. So he floods it and starts over. It's all part of the same idea. And out of the, out of the floodwaters, which is the ultimate wilderness experience, a new meta Noah walks into. It's, baptism is the same thing for us individually. And for a community and for, boy, these, like we've talked about, these symbols and these meanings in the scriptures are layered in all of reality. Jesus himself rises from, even he rises into a new meta. He receives his calling and his ministry starts at that point. Before he was not in doing his ministry, now he does. Even if, even if you just take it at that simple level of translation. Something has new has happened even in Jesus' life, and he begins his ministry. Once John the Baptist is taken away and captured, Jesus then steps forward. And we're going to read this, don't worry. We're going to read it again, and we've already covered it a little. But I'd just like to overlap them so that we can remember and tie this together as we go. Starting from these wild and desolate places. Remember, right after he's baptized, right after Jesus is baptized, he's thrust into the wilderness. Um, he's thrust into the wilderness. We talked about that. The Spirit thrusts him into the wilderness where his, um, his new meta is basically validated. His, his new ministry is validated. He comes out of the wilderness, out of the desert, out of the temptation um, without faltering. Anyways, I won't go on about that. But um, yeah, thrust into the new wilderness to validate his new calling. And then once, uh, so when Jesus steps forward, he starts from these wild and desolate places. He comes right out of that wilderness experience, baptism, then wilderness, and he begins to preach, preaching the good news. And this new, it will not be based on the current regime of Israel at all. That's the point. Rather, something completely new has come. What Jesus is preaching is completely new. You don't blend it and mix it with your worldly ways of thinking. You don't mix it and blend it with the religion, ossified religion. It's his new life that he is preaching. If you try to take this new life, these things that he's preaching, and try to somehow fit it into your old view of the world, you try to somehow fit it in with the old structure of the world, two things happen. You'll completely destroy the old way of the world. It, 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 won't, it won't work at all. It, it, everything will, it won't make any sense. But secondly, this new life, this new message will be wasted because you'll be tainting it or perverting it. It's like, so in the second chapter, which we'll cover maybe next week, it's like when Jesus says you can't pour new wine in old wineskins or you'll burst the old wineskins, you'll tear that old religion apart, make it look ridiculous. 
And the, the great new message itself will be wasted. In many ways, sounds like the state of the current church, if you ask me, in the West. You, go, you guys know my thoughts on that. <clears throat> Anyways, th these are harsh words. Who, who can hear such a message? That's the point, okay? What's the point? Who can listen to such a message? Who can receive such an extreme and amazing new proclamation? I'll tell you who. It's those people who are desperate. People who are already disillusioned or downright oppressed by the current system. And so that is where he begins his ministry. And it makes perfect sense when you understand what his ministry is, like I've been drawing it out, what he's trying to do. Again, you don't have to remember and understand all of these things. These are sweeping ideas, big picture ideas, but I believe this foundation will help us understand the book of Mark as we continue to read forward, okay? I'm just trying to impress a story and an ideas and, and different people will pick up on different things. We saw last week that Jesus calls his first disciples. They're fishermen, Peter, and his, he was named Simon, and his brother Andrew, and also John and James, the brothers. Fishermen, fringe people, people in the village, from the village. They were struggling with their nets. We talked about that, how we talked last week about how the nets are, are like a poor, a very weak tool of structure. You, you throw it into the, this chaos of water, and you try to pull fish out, and you still got to do a lot of work, pick the right fish out, you eat the fish, and they sustain your body. That's the idea. And that... And then the other, so as soon as he calls them, he says, I'll make you fishers of men. They abandon their nets. They abandon those old, difficult tools. And then the next ones are fixing their nets. And they abandon those too, because again, you always have to be fixing the nets. Jesus calls them to metanoia, a new meta. Yeah, you're still fishers, but fishers of men now. Rather than pulling fish from this unstable sea to sustain your body, you will be pulling others, other people, from a sea of hopelessness, from a sea of lostness, pulling them out. And again, we know there's so many images in the Bible about uh, like a net being cast and then picking the good from the bad. We know that the sower sows seed a lot of places, but only some of it grows up right. We know that Jesus sows the seed uh, and the enemy sows a different seed. And gee, what does God say? He says, well, let them grow up together. And then we'll separate them. We'll cut and separate them. So these ideas, the same thing as a fisherman who who's indiscriminately catches, pulls sustenance or structure out of chaos, still has to separate it. We will, they will pull men, people, out from hopelessness. And then those men will go on and minister. And they will sustain the body, the body of Christ. And so these symbols, again, they interplay. And they immediately abandon their nets. They follow him. They leave other things too. They leave their family, their business. They leave the, their father sitting in the boat the Father and the hired servants. So they have a business. They have a family. And it's just a small number of words, Mark, makes huge points. They leave family, they leave business, they leave assets because they own they owned the boat. So that's where we left off. Let's read now. The, let's read, we're going to read the rest of Mark chapter 1 and just... Um, review, just kind of look at how these ideas fit in. Um, yeah, I'll read it off here, actually, because my translation's a little different. Yeah. Uh, verse four, so pick it up from verse 14. So we'll just cover off 
Just so you can, just to reinforce the things I just said. So after John was put in prison, that's John the Baptist, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. So, so this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the first time Jesus starts to minister, okay? Right after, this is directly after his, his being tempted in the wilderness. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Metanoia and believe the good news, okay? Repent is not my favorite choice, but change your heart, my translation reads, change, ha, have changed hearts or change your heart. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So that's where we covered last, uh, last, um, last week. And so we see that Jesus begins in wild places with fringe people, and he calls them to a new meta, a new life. Okay, so they went to Capernaum, and when the, when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue, okay, so the, the place of teaching, and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes or as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Where does that take us? Yeah, the people were all so amazed, and they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching, and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Okay, so stop there for a minute. Jesus had teaching with authority in this situation, not like the scribes. So the idea is that there was no power or authority from the religious leaders okay, at the time. They did not expect this. In fact, I would go so far as saying it's actually the opposite. It was actually slavery coming from this, probably the teachers at the time or the structure at the time. Do you wonder why is there a possessed man right in the middle of the synagogue? Like you'd think, like why is there like demon-possessed man in the middle of the synagogue? And then he's asking, just wait, 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 what are you doing with us? He asked Jesus. And then Jesus cleanses him as a sign. To the people and to prove his authority. As we read on, you're going to see that there's a correlation between demon possession and the synagogues. There's a constant connection here. And later on, Jesus, in the book, Jesus will criticize Pharisees and Sadducees, saying, You burden people with your religion, your heavy burdens, your whitewashed tombs, your people of death, all these things. Let me just cut to the chase. The demons have overtaken the synagogues. That's what this story is. It's like the synagogues themselves are being overcome by the evil. They're doing the opposite of what they're supposed to be doing. And now Jesus is, is coming and he's casting this demon not only out of the man, but out of the synagogue. So again, the old way is actually, the old ways of thinking, the old meta is actually enslaving. Not because it's old, but because of what it has become. And Jesus comes with something new, new authority that they did not have. They were dead and ossified, like Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. They appear religious on the outside, but death on the inside. 
It's exactly what the story is here with the synagogue. Ashes it. We talked about this last week, the mystery of the Messiah. Jesus constantly tells people, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone about what you got healed. Don't tell anyone. He, and, he, and he doesn't let the demons speak. He hushes the demons. He says, stop it. You know, I don't want everyone knowing all this stuff. Like, Why? Does, I, thought he wants to let it, I thought he wants to proclaim the news. Why is he telling them to be quiet? One of those mysteries. There's a lot to that answer. I'm not going to go into it. But one of the reasons is he does not want the attention. Okay, Jesus does not want the attention to be on... He wants the attention to be on the message itself, not on him as a not on him as like a, like some kind of a leader or something. Okay, he wants the message to be on the proclamation. That's his mission. God's proclamation. God's mission. Let's read. Let's read on. We're going to finish uh, chapter one. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. That's Simon, that's Peter. He gets his name changed to Peter. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door of this house. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Okay, we'll stop there. So after the synagogue, he goes into Peter's mother-in-law's house. Doesn't say a word this time. He just takes her by the hand and gently lifts her up. And she's healed. And she responds by serving them. And so we see early on that it's more than just his message. That Jesus' very presence is what brings, brings healing to self, to house, a changed life for the fisherman. And then Jesus enters that fisherman's home and heals his family, heals his home place, heals his village. All the village people come. Heal, the whole village gets healed. The synagogue is cleansed. Just Jesus' presence um, a rabbi in those days would not have touched a woman. So he t- takes her by the hand and lifts her up. A lot of things going on here. That's why it says that. There's no words wasted in the Bible, but especially in Mark. Every word means something. Takes her by the hand, gently lifts her up. And this sets off an entire evening of healing and casting out demons. Now it's game on. It's just, and the people begin to see what this means. We've talked so much about, oh, you've got to change your heart, and blah, you should do this, blah, blah. It's because those, that old heart is what's enslaving you. That old heart is what's making you sick. It's what's making you confused. It's what's making you blame others. It's what's making you judgmental towards others. And following Jesus leads to healing. Not just because you understood a message, but because he comes right into your life. He comes right into your heart. He comes right into your home. And he heals and it's not about, even about knowing or understanding the words per se. Without a word, he takes her hand and he heals her. And she immediately gets busy serving, doing good, gets back to work. So we know her heart was in the right place. And all the people begin to see what this means, that this message has authority on both heaven and earth, and it brings freedom and it brings healing. Freedom and healing are here with Jesus. This is what it means. And they see that. 
And again, Jesus does not want attention. So let's read the next passage. And when they found him, they... Uh, so before that, did I read? I think go back to the previous verse. I can't remember if I read it or not. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, super early, still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place, or a desert place is better, okay? A desert place, a, a wild place. Again, solitary, it's like he's alone, like that's the point. No, it's not. It actually says a deserted place. Where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you, right? Again, they think like, hey, this great movement has started. Yeah, we got power now. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is, for this is why I have come. And there's a few things I'm not crazy about. What is it? Is that ESV? Do you remember? E? Is that ESV? Oh, NIV. Oh, that explains a lot. Okay. <laughs> uh, and he, so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Okay. Jesus does not want to attention. He's not trying to build a following, okay? He has a message, a proclamation. He's constantly trying to downplay that part of it. Remember he, when he eventually goes to Jerusalem, he goes in on a donkey, right? And a lot of other examples of that. He has a message, a proclamation. He must rise up early, still in darkness, still in wilderness. Everyone else thinks, yeah, we got something going on now. We're getting momentum. Look at all these healings. Look at this power. Jesus go, puts himself right back into darkness by waking up early. Again, it's, it's like the idea of Sabbath, okay? I, I, I spoke about that a while ago as well. But he begins his next leg of his journey from the wilderness. He goes out to pray into desolate, from a desolate place. So it's the same pattern repeating again. To continue his mission, because this mission is his and his alone. It's not about building a following. He says, for that is why I came. Let us go to other places, for this is why I came to to proclaim this message. This is Jesus' mission. And so from this new dark morning, this dark morning in the desert, he goes to more towns, more synagogues, right? Preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. There's a connection between demons and the synagogues, again. And the last story, the final part of chapter 1, where it all comes together. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. Oh, okay, so this one goes with indignant. Interesting. Uh, okay, Jesus was indignant. Actually, most of those texts read he, he was filled with compassion. So in the ancient, I'm talking about the ancient texts. Some of them say he was angry. Some of them say he was filled with compassion. There are, there are two, I won't explain it. There are two sides of the same coin. Mine, I was going to take more of the compassion angle. But anyway, Jesus is very emotional about this situation. That's all we need to understand, okay? He's emotional. If he's angry, he's angry towards the demons. He's angry towards the situation. If he's compassionate, he's compassionate towards the man. Different ancient texts say different things, okay? That's all. So different translations have it differently. This one, they went with indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. So he both touches and speaks this time, okay? And he said, be clean. He said, I am willing. That's the key word. I am willing. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Let's go on. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. Again, it actually says that Jesus like he thrust him out. It's the, same, it's the same word that was used to thrust Jesus into the wilderness. The, the spirit thrust him into the wilderness. It's very violent thrusting. 
It's funny that they went with the, the negative for the indignant in this translation, but then they softened it on the thrusting. Mine's the, op the one I use is the opposite. Anyways, see that you don't tell this to anyone. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest, to the priest, and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. So go to the priest and tell him you were healed of leprosy and give the appropriate offering. I'm sure the, <laughs> the priest has seen lots of uh, leprosy healings in his time. Would have been probably the first time in hundreds of years that anybody went for that. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. So the guy didn't listen to Jesus. He just went out and spread the news instead. Jesus told him, don't tell anyone. Don't spread the news. He told him. He tells many people this. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Again, des it's desolate places is what it should say. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. <clears throat> Finally, we have the story of the leper. This leper asks if Jesus is willing to make him clean, and Jesus says, I am willing. He both speaks and touches him this time. And Jesus again tells him to be quiet. He tells him to go to the priest and give the appropriate offering as a witness. So again, a witness to the religious structures of the time, a witness to the priest at the time of what's happening. It's like, whoa, leprosy, is clean. leprosy was healed? Are you kidding me? Oh, the guy would have to like blow off some dusty book, open it up, and what's, what's the correct offering for healing? Like, no one gets healed of leprosy. Leprosy doesn't, once you get leprosy, you're toast. Uh, nobody gets healed. So that would have been a great witness. It's a real tongue-in-cheek thing that Jesus said, I think. I think he knew, for, Jesus knew right off the bat that there's no way this guy was going to do that. He would have had to pay for, this guy would have had to pay for the offering as well. So he would have had to buy whatever it is, a, a dove or something. Whatever the sacrifice is, you, we could probably find that if we went into Leviticus or something. But, uh, so again, Jesus is targeting, he's targeting the synagogue, the structure. Leprosy is a particularly strong symbol of the fringes of society, okay? We're just about finished, so just hang on. Give me one more minute. This is gonna, you're going to love how this comes together. Leprosy is a strong symbol of the fringes. Because once you get leprosy, again, Jesus is, uh, Simon's mother-in-law, she had a fever. She's just laying in the bed. She's still in the town. It's fine. She's going to recover, hopefully, right? If you have leprosy, there's no recovery. You're thrust out of the community, and they, they would live in these enclaves outside of the villages. And so you're th the le leprous people... Um, were truly on the total fringe of society. They could not come back into town ever. Hopefully they had loved ones who could deliver supplies to them. That's how it worked. They're cast out from the community. Jesus is filled with compassion or anger towards the situation. Jesus is filled with a lot of emotion. That's the point. He's filled with deep emotion. The first time we hear of him having a lot of emotion. And it ties in with the last time we hear about him with a lot of emotion, which is the night before his death on the cross. Get this. Jesus said, I am willing to heal you. He knows the man will go and blab, blab it out. The net result is this. This man who was once cast out is now able to go back into the city. He doesn't have leprosy anymore. He was never going to recover. He was never going to be able to go back into town and be back in part of society. But now he is. Now he's free to go back. But who can't go into the towns? What did it say? Did we read the last verse? Put a throw back up there. I think we covered. We read the last verse, didn't we? Oh, uh, as Jesus, he could no longer enter a town openly. He had to stay in desolate places. The, so he's swapping positions. That's why he says, "I am willing," and he touches and speaks. Anyways, it all comes together. I, I, we won't go on and on, but. Um, in the end, this man is both healed and free, while Jesus' words are neglected 
and his access is now restricted. Jesus trades places. He trades situations with this man. Jesus can't go into the towns, whereas he can. At least in a way. It's a strong symbol of what Jesus will do on the cross for us. And it's a strong symbol that this mission is all Jesus' mission. Him and him alone. Is the only, he is the only one that can do everything that needs to be done. And it is meaningful to him. It is emotional to him. And he is willing to do it. That's why the story is phrased that way. That's why he says at the end of Mark chapter 1, as this kind of sweeping introduction to this whole story, where it will eventually lead to him on the cross, trading places with the leper in this case. It's just a small little foreshadow. It's a symbol where Jesus says, yes, I am willing. Filled with emotion, he says, I am willing. Just like the night before he went to the cross. He said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. But your will, but not my will, but yours be done, he said to the Father. Where he takes our sin and we get freedom and healing in return. And so it's a call to follow him. But where does the power come from to actually create a change? It comes from him. It's all of Jesus. This mission is secret because it is only the mission and the secret mission of Jesus, the, the Messiah secret it's called where he tells everyone to hush, hush, hush. It's because this is his mission and his mission alone. Only he can win this victory. Like I said last week, he's infiltrating. He's planting bombs and he's infiltrating uh, the enemy base. He's going to the synagogues and he's, he's operating in the early mornings, in the shadows, from desolate places. He's working his way because this mission is his and his alone. Even if we could follow, even if he allowed us to try to follow him, we wouldn't. We would all run in fear and disobedience because we already have. We already do. Like, like when Peter says, I'll follow you anywhere, and Jesus says, no, you won't. It's all Jesus, this mission. And it strains our understanding. It strains our hearts to understand. And actually, it terrifies us to follow, especially those of us who have a lot. If we don't have as much, if we're not desperate, we don't have as much to lose, it's even harder. That's why I'm trying to really break this open for us today because you know, our situation is different than these people that he was talking to, I think. But still, it's open. It's in, we are all invited. It strains our hearts to understand. It terrifies us to follow Jesus. But to as many as will follow, there is healing. There is freedom from slavery. There is new meta. A entirely new world awaits you. A new life for you. And so that is the first chapter of Mark's gospel, and it lays the groundwork for so many of the awesome things Jesus is going to say. So I know that was a long one. Thanks for sticking with it. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for um, your word, like always. Thank you for your message. Thank you for just how fun and exciting it is and how serious it is too. Lord, um, well, Jesus, it's your mission, even still. It's your mission, it's your mission alone, and all we can do is ask. And all I can ask is, are you willing, Lord, to heal us? Are you willing to free us from whatever enslaves us if we come to you? Knowing full well, we're immediately going to disobey afterwards. But as you change us, we will obey you more. And I pray that we would believe that. I pray that you would call us to this radical life, this new meta, this new world that you've called us to. Well, we don't have to blame others anymore. Well, we have, we believe and have 
your power to overcome these things in our life. Lord, I just pray for healing. I know your answer, that you are willing. So Lord, I just pray for healing and freedom for those who need it here today, this morning, for this church in general, for this town in general, and wherever you would have us shine the light and wherever you would have us, wherever you would call us to go and follow, um, knowing you will provide along the way and trusting it. Help us do this together. In your name we pray. Amen.